where do the people we get our parts from get our parts from? Is there anywhere we can go when our regular places don't have the stuff we need? What's the inside baseball game going on between our distributors and the folks who make the actual product? And are there any products that are always harder to get? These are just a few of the things we'll be talking about today with Tyler J. Thomas, Tim Coleman, and guest host PJ Slauson. I'm Jeff Moss, and this is The Three Tumblers. Over the past few years, pretty much everyone in every industry has had to struggle with getting parts. Like a lot of things with locksmithing, we've had to get creative when it comes to finding the stuff we need to get our jobs done. Like we've talked about before, there are different ways to get what we need. So last week, I had a customer who brought a part in. It was a Southco lock. They make hundreds of different parts for RVs and display cabinets, and it's not not truly a locksmithing item that you're going to find through the locksmith wholesalers. So I found a supplier that had the part after I quoted the customer, found that they had a $50 minimum. Well, I only wanted to order one. So I was able to find two of them, brand new old stock on eBay for the same price that would have cost me one from the wholesaler with shipping. And I would have had to spend the minimum of $50. So that was a win right there and I have an extra one. So hopefully it'll work and I can sell them the second one and not have to place another order. Um, You know, when it's something special like that, you know, yeah, you may pay more, but I I found a lot of stuff on eBay more so for my own collection, not, you know, new stuff to sell a customer, but there is old stock out there and weird replacement parts and, you know, places that go out of business and liquidators put stuff up for sale and i don't really like it but sometimes you can find things on amazon harley davidson motorcycle uh saddlebag locks you can get stuff very cheap that if you went to the harley dealer could cost you 50 or 60 bucks if they even had it and there you know there is some aftermarket stuff out there that will do i certainly you know don't recommend it for car keys and people bring stuff in that you know we all know about that and then i guess tim tyler have you PJ, when you were working for your dad, have you had to source things from odd places like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely, um, you know, so I mean, the, you know, the funny part for me is I actually got my start selling my dad's um, excess oddball items on eBay. And so um, I found, you know, that was 2004, 2005-ish. And um, it's a, I think it's a great place to find those items, right? Um, a lot of times you're working on maybe like some sort of boat ignition and um, you get a little too rough and the ignition gets a little messed up because it's plastic. A good, easy way to find a replacement, you know, is a place like eBay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have, uh, I, I'm not going to say a, a great demand, but we have, regular occasional demand for child safety locks um something that can you know stop a child from pulling the door open in other words they're they're just tall enough old enough whatever to be able to to use the thumb turn on the inside of the door 
and before they know it they're out you know outside um especially in special needs children cases and some of the best child safety locks that we've found are actually on ebay or at not ebay but uh amazon and so we we source those parts from amazon and then you know sell them and install them and uh that seems to work pretty you know pretty good another point that i'll make is also um easy keys um they are actually based in charlotte and i know they've got a an online business but um we have an account with them we've used them once in the couple years that i've been doing this now for the for the shop i'm at but when we did use them it, it was it was pretty much a convenience factor, but we were able to show them a picture of what we needed. Uh, it was for a, a overhead cabinet filing cabinet type lock, and we showed them what we needed, and they had it ready to go. So, I mean, some places that are specialty places like that are awesome to go to. We use them once a week, it seems like. A lot. There's still, even with the newest generic code, there's stuff that's not in the keys that are not in the system, or when we need replacement plugs for for things like that, um, they've been a very good source. Uh, I've only stumped them a couple times. Um, another good one is all about doors for like patio door hardware, uh, and th there's others out there. Um, Tyler, I guess now that you're since you're pretty nuanced in what you do, you're probably not having to to search for things but i know like uh you know you have a, a place that sells like security fasteners and stuff locally and you guys have that good hardware store for when you you know i'm sure there's things that you find that you know you need when you're in the middle of something yeah and also other locksmiths like uh, our buddy in california doug schneider uh he'll reach out to me i'll reach out to him vice versa just i, I would say as far as other alternative sources um locksmiths you know that are to borrow your word nuanced in a special field that have that sort of inventory on hand because they deal with it regularly that you know that can't be beat well you took my next uh point but yes that is a great uh way you know i put you post on clear start you have something yeah i bought 50 of them 20 years ago uh i'll send you five and sell you know sell you what you need um another thing i've brought in blanks from my own collection inventory somebody needs one key and we you know would have to order 10 and you know it's sitting collecting dust i you know it's not a big deal um you know or if i know of a place that has something there's a local supplier that specializes in uh like step van parts we cut keys for them so when we and somebody has like a school bus uh, passenger bus and they need a handle drove over there, picked it up and got what they needed. And they're very happy had it in a day, you know, could they have ordered it from them? Yeah. But we also installed it for them and you don't want to necessarily, you know, give away your sources. Um, you know, there are specialty distribute, you know, we're just lucky that this company is down the street from us um, and they stock all the stuff and we, you know, we help them and they, help us so i don't see so much other locksmiths locally but guys online you know um i remember working I, like you said you damaged something i had a really old uh gm 
ignition or door lock or something that I screwed up and I was able to find a new old stock 60 year old part on eBay. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for that <laughs> would have been, and I forget what the issue was, but would have been bad. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say, you know, as far as other locksmiths, you know, Tyler helped us out just a few months ago, um, you know, and being able to reach out to other locksmiths and say, Hey, do you have some of these? Because my distributor is saying it's going to be three to, you know, anywhere between three and eight months before you're going to get it from us. Um, you know, that really, really does help out. Uh, and also to speak to the, your point about personal collections, um, you know, I'm not quite at the point where I'm I'm carrying around my safe drilling rig and and stuff like that. I don't have any of the really, really cool safe tools yet, but I have amassed a uh, rather decent collection of uh, electronic safe keypads. And there have been a couple times when I've grabbed a keypad from from home and taken it with me for a job and been able to open a safe as soon as I get it open, of course, I'm going to replace everything that's, you know, on that customer safe, but being able to have that here and just grab it in the morning, uh, you know, when I'm leaving for work really, really helps out sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I carry extra stuff with me just, you know, um, my coworker needed some cat five plugs. Yeah, I've got my, you know, it's my own stuff. Here's a handful of them. You know, I don't care about, you know, not going to, you know, next time I go buy something, I'll give her the receipt if I really need it. Um, you know, I'm replenishing from my own inventory. You know, it just makes it easier. They don't have to go run over to Home Depot and, and wait in line and whatever, you know, to get the job done or screws or anchors or things like that. But not so much, you know, true actual inventory. Um because people pretty much want stuff that's brand new. At least I would. Up next, PJ is going to give us a view on the inside baseball between people who make key blanks and people who sell them. All right, thanks, Jeff. So when it comes to key blanks, right, we almost all of them we know are made out of brass. But there are also so many other parts that are made out of brass, whether it's plumbing, ammo, electrical parts, and so many other items. Key blank manufacturers over the past few years have had an incredibly difficult time getting the brass strips and coils in order to make the keys. Now, when they can get the the coils and the strips, a lot of times they aren't being able to determine what size they get. And so is what happens is that if you if they get strips for, let's say, um, the size of keys of like a quick set or schlage, and they need to make a bunch of M1 master padlock keys, the cost per key is rising dramatically from that. And so at that point, a lot of tough decisions need to be made. Do we go after, do we keep making the most popular or do we shift and make some of the not so popular, but decent volume like M1 keys or, you know, Y11 and that sort of thing. Do, uh, 
well, let me ask you this. Uh, see, I don't know how it would be from a, a manufacturer. When the manufacturers are creating keys out of these batches, do you have any idea uh, in terms of volume per batch? I mean, are they making 100,000 keys and then sitting and waiting to get more? Uh, is it just take what you can get, 5,000, whatever? Do you know anything about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's essentially done off of a volume, you know, um, I, I know the main, um, you know, there's essentially two main uh, key blank manufacturers in the world, right? And so they have dedicated machines where they're running quick set and Schlage type keys all day, every day, is where the problem really starts to um, unfold is when if, you know, so we all know that you're going to sell quick set and Schlage keys no matter what. And so do you keep those presses rolling and do you keep making those keys or at some point do you take some of that that brass stock and start making you know y11 keys even though it's not the right size it's going to cost more you know they might run two three four i can't remember the exact minimum quantity for the like stock keys i believe it's around five thousand pieces in annual volume that the manufacturer needs to be able to sell so it's it's a lot smaller than you might uh think um, as far as that goes, but it's, you know, setting it up and doing it all. And to complicate the matters a little more is what happened, okay? And I think everyone can relate to this to some degree. And so, as we know, everything kind of shut down and then all the materials um, got really hard to get. Well, when things get moving again, um, let's say with your, uh, a supplier that you have, maybe you um, have 30-day terms, 60 day, 90 day, whatever it might be. Well, you call them up to place an order and they're like, hey, not only did the price go up, but we need payment up front because we have a line of people sitting here that are willing to take your supply, pay us more and pay us right now, even though you're not going to actually get the material for a couple months. When you, when you say they, do you mean other distributors? I mean, on the on other manufacturers. Right. And so when, when the other manufacturers, when they're doing this in other on all sorts of industries is what happens. And so I guess the point of talking about this is that when it starts to funnel down to us and our industry, it's a relatively uh, small industry, the aftermarket key blank supply. And so it is what happens is um, if you're a manufacturer, what are you wanting to put out there? Um, are you wanting to, um, you know, restock the 10,000, maybe 1611 trailer hitch keys that you sell um, throughout the year, hoping someone's going to buy it when you just got done having to prepay to get that inventory of just the, the base brass into make? Or are you wanting to sell, you know, the high movers to get your money back as soon as possible? So it's, like, it's it, it sounds like it's not so much that they're having problems sourcing it it's that they're having to compete for that finite material available in the market yes yep yeah exactly the material that becomes available um everyone's competing for and uh i mean if we were to put it in your shoes right let's say someone like there was a shortage of master padlocks and someone showed up and they're and they're like hey we'll give you double the money for those padlocks you have there you kind of start getting put in a weird position so to speak. So how does like, like for instance, we, we buy Medico and Schlage factory direct 
uh, on some of our you know keys like Medico. Obviously, we get factory direct. Schlage Primus, we get factory direct. Do those do the factories in the global scheme of things? Do they have, I guess, quote unquote, priority over your OEM or you know beyond the OEM manufacturers? Or are they still competing for everything? Is that why, um, you know, my Medico keys are, are going to take me three months to get blanks for? Uh, yeah. So for the most part, I, I guess it kind of brings me to my second point here, right? Which is like when we're in the aftermarket uh, world, right? All of us, I believe here, service the aftermarket in some form or another, Um Key bike manufacturers, because there's only a few of them out there, right? Like they have agreements with the OEM company, include in that the Medicos and, you know, of course, Schlage and those sort of, those sorts of companies. And they have, you know, um, written agreements on what the price is, how many they're going to supply and all of that. And so when material gets um, more scarce or harder to get, and they have to, um, who are they going to first make key blanks for? Are they going to make them for the OEM uh, manufacturers that they have, um, you know, agreements, you know, written agreements with? Or are they going to just, pop, you know, make a bunch of Y11s and pop them on the shelf um, and hope that uh, distributors like myself are going to buy them? Now, um, to, but to Tim, I guess to answer your point, I, I think is, is what happens is that, um, like with the medicos and that sort of thing, it they they at some point you have to get in line, right? And especially I know nickel silver um, in particular, like what medical keys are made out of, have has been incredibly difficult for anyone to get. And so I think that's kind of where that extended lead time goes. But um, who are you gonna, um, you know? I, I guess the point is, since we're the aftermarket, we're really the after part of that. And so we put orders in, we hope to get those keys as soon as possible, but at the end of the day, the OEM manufacturers are going to take precedent. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we're going through a, uh, I, I guess, sort of a, a reorganizing of our, our stock in our shop. And uh, my boss and I, we were, you know, moving stuff where we're, we're creating new areas in the limited space that we have. Anyway, we were going through key blanks that we have, and we found like some oddball wisers, some oddball uh, Westlock. I mean, we, we don't even rekey Westlock cylinders anymore. Um, just because they're so old most of the time when we encounter them and, you know, we'll tell our customers, say, look, if we take that apart, something somewhere is going to break. And we've not been able to get parts for forever. Um, you just need to replace it. So why should we stock Westlock keys? Um, and I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, he's my my boss has acquired all these key blanks through buyouts of other locksmiths selling off their stock, and is just something. You know, yeah, we sell Y11s every day, but we don't sell as many Y11s as we do, you know, SC1 and and KW1. Um, so having, I guess, it makes sense to me that 
manufacturers of key blanks probably aren't going to run, you know, as many oddball keys as they are Schlagen Quickset. Yes, we still need those oddball keys, but they're not going to uh, put that on the same priority tier as your common ones. I guess that's kind of what I'm I'm taking away from what you've said. Yes. And, you know, I think on the on the distributor side, so a lot of us have kind of a, a network behind the scenes that um, we've always been willing to maybe either at cost or just a little over. We sell key blanks to each other. Right. Let's say um, I have then 1646 uh, keys. And the manufacturers are out and um, behind the scenes, they're like, hey, you know, can I get 5,000 of those? And it's like, hey, sure, no problem, you know, and uh, vice versa, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens quite often. However, um, over the past couple of years, everyone's like, I'm sorry, I, I can't do it. Like, I need to hold on to this stock because um, the lead times we're getting quoted is like six to eight months for this key to get back in. Right. And so you start to get these uh, where before it was really kind of fluid behind the scenes. And now it's like, hey, all like if you want 100 or 150 of them, like, sure, we'll help you get out of a pinch. But after that, um, you know, we can't do it. Yeah. And like the biggest issue we've had is we were buying direct from Jet and now Jet is long gone and they've pretty much that supply is just gone. You know, whatever they had that was in new york nobody's been able to either they sent it all to italy can't get a straight answer from anybody at Keyline. um you know there's stuff we would love to purchase if it was still available um you know we have car keys that we can't get the chips for anymore uh, a lot of their nickel silver stuff that is long gone that we really liked but we were able to buy in bulk and it was a better price now you know you're you're dependent on pretty much ilko is the only one and there's also a lot of a lot of uh, quality control issues on the blanks that we do get. I've got a couple hundred KW1s that are useless uh, out of, you know, a thousand, let's say. It's really not worth sending them back. But when you do get them, they're crap. And it's very frustrating because it didn't always seem to be like that. I don't know if they're just rushing to get stuff through the supply chain and then you end up, you know, they're they're not taking the time to check them or, or what it is. Uh, bad chip keys, too. Not as much. But, you know, I'm having to check every KW1 as I put out in the box of 250 and there might be 10 or 20 bad in each 250 pack. Yeah, that's yeah, frustrating. I would blame automation for that. The manufacturers over the past years have really um, upped their game in automation. It's the only really thing they can do to keep prices low. And I think some of the, the consequences of that are kind of what you're talking about. Um, yeah. We, we, we find the same thing. So um, we actually have, uh, so like we'll get keys that are like stamped backwards or not milled or whatever. And we set those aside per manufacturer. And when we get um, about a half a box, like a, you know, like a, a thousand key, you know, mm -hmm. like piece box, when we get about halfway filled up, um, I send it back to the manufacturer mm -hmm. and um, ask for a credit, yeah. you know, and they, they, they think I'm nuts, you know, but I'm like, 
it makes no sense to take that key that we paid for and just throw it away at the volume, right? right. And so, yeah, we'll send those, uh, we'll send them in and I mean, we have to uh, kind of nag them for months to get a credit for it. Cause they're like, you, you literally send us a mixed box full of messed up keys. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but I mean, to us, that's probably, you know, four or $500. And I don't know why we'd throw that away. Right. And it's not necessarily worth it for us to send them back to our distributor to then send them back at least, you know, not five or 10, but when you keep, you know, when it, it does add up and yeah, we can scrap them and we usually do end up scrapping them, but uh, you can't. <laughs> I usually yeah. wind up sending all of my uh, moss milled keys to Jeff. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, it used to be like, Oh, Hey, that's cool. We have a, now it's like, it used to be like, you know, finding the prize in the box of Cracker Jacks. Now it's kind of annoying. <laughs> I actually yeah. found some uh, some uh, misformed, uh, miscut master pins for like actual lab pins where I had two uh, 060 wafers, you know, master pins, and uh, they were stuck together but staggered. And oh, I'm yeah. Like, well, that happens all the time with the little ones from Master Lock. I just cut them apart with my little wire cutters and go about my day. But yeah, that is not uh, not as big of a problem as you know when you need fifty keys and you don't have you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, so Jeff, to answer a couple of your other points, yeah. So when um, Jet kind of essentially um, went out of business per se, uh, whatever weirdness was behind the whole key line thing, but. Um, a couple things happened, right? One, uh, Mark now, um, who used to run Jet, is over at Ilco. Right. And so they have been working at bringing some of those unique Jet keys back into the fold. So um, I would definitely say if there's some that you're looking for, I'd reach out to Mark over at Ilco now and express interest. That's um, interesting that he went to the competitor, not to the company that he sold to. You know, I always have a feeling that sometimes like uh, when when mergers and acquisitions happen and all that other stuff, a lot of times it's a lot more of what they of what happens outside of what they say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but another interesting part that happened for us is so through Arrow, um, we we used to always buy our B15 and Y151 keys for the tryout sets right for the old gm6 cut and uh old sure. um, chrysler and when that happened to jet all of a sudden like two of our bigger biggest sellers well we couldn't sell them anymore which was terrible right and so i ended up uh, reaching out and um had jma start making those keys for us mm-hmm. and so it was interesting kind of going through that that process and um they actually um and I mean, any distributor can buy them now. I mean, they're in their catalog, but they made their part numbers CLK-1 and CLK-2, which I thought was kind of funny. But um, going through that process with them uh, was interesting on their perspective. Okay, how many pieces are you going to buy at a time? How how many per annual? And like, you know, me really trying to get them to be like, hey, like this, this isn't like, you know, we might buy, you know, 30 or so thousand B15 keys a year, but I know the value is lower to you, but to us, it's, it's very important. 
And I think that's a, a common problem we kind of get in this industry is that um, it might be more of an oddball key, but to us in our business or wherever you're at, um, that key is really important for your community to have available. Sure. And so kind of, um, it's almost like, Hey, we'll go easy on the price. Like, I mean, I'm not going to try to get you down too much on the price of the key. I just really need to make sure that it's available. Right. Absolutely. And like, um, we had an issue before I was at Aloha, we were told, Oh, it's going to be like two months for your peaks blanks. And then when we got, when I got back, we got peaks blanks. And then our next order, the blanks had all the wrong coining on them. So we had, we were cutting keys with somebody, you know, they're like, well, you know, we don't have them cut what you have and then we'll send you out the correct ones. So we had a, a run of maybe a hundred peaks keys with a different number on them, you know, um, Yikes. Yeah. yeah. And that was not our, nothing we could do about it, you know, and that obviously is very frustrating um, because you wait so long to get it and then it's wrong. We just yes. got a, uh, a shipment of, we had ordered, what was it, like SC1 or KW1, uh, do not dupe blanks. And you would think when you order, and I'm not sure who the manufacturer was or which distributor we got them through, but you would think that when you get a D&D blank, um, that it would have the words do not duplicate on there. No, we just got straight neuter bows. Um, and so we are like, whenever we have any downtime at all in the shop, we have a handful of these knitter bow SC one or KW one, whatever the hell they are. And we stick them in the engraver, hit start engraving. And it does do not duplicate. Um, think we're actually going to go to like putting our logo on there because we've got room to do that. Um, and Jeff, yes. I this week I will make you your my name is Jeff custom key. You're the man. But to kind to kind of wrap it up, does um PJ is do you see sort of any light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, we're coming out of strange times, but have you seen or heard anything that would give you the indication that we're on the path to normalcy again? Um, yes, actually. So I would, I mean, we have RPOs being fulfilled at a pace that is the best since uh, before, you know, early 2020. And um, I think it's starting to come back. And uh, I, you know, I talked to uh, both manufacturers on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. And um, they're, they're pretty optimistic that um, things are somehow, you know, their their supply is getting back to normal. They're fulfilling a lot of backlogs. I think our oldest back order that we have right now on a key is February um, 2022, I think. So only about a year old, which um, uh, may sound terrible, but it, it, it's actually pretty good for some of those more oddball type of keys. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that we've ordered, you know, for uh, not key blanks, but uh, some hardware that's been backordered for so long and then stuff came in and we forgot who it was for. We might've sold it to somebody else. And, 
you know, they're like, hey, where's our stuff? And then in fact, so then we ended up having to reorder it, uh, which was not necessarily the wasn't the manufacturer's fault. It was a, a, a paperwork issue. But uh, it take, took so long to get the parts. We forget they forgot what they needed them for almost, you know, he's like, OK, order 15 of everything and then just to have it. So it's definitely a problem. And I know um, it's better. You know, we had issues where like we couldn't get continuous hinges and we had to go to like a third level manufacturer that the rep somebody knew about. It was some imported and they worked, but it's like we haven't bought them again because we can get select hinges again. But, you know, we couldn't get select. We couldn't get Roton. So we had to go to like, you know, dig to the depths of the earth to get anything. And, uh, you know, I, I think it worked out, but not great. I, I would like to, to just jump in something here right before uh, PJ wraps this block up. Um, it was last year, almost a year ago, and I needed a dogging assembly for a, a CR Lawrence Jackson exit device. And on the, the CRL uh, website, they said expected availability was going to be like November. And, and this was in July of last year and uh one of our nsps that we've done work for uh their their locksmith shop and i was doing a job for them elsewhere not involving that exit device and i said hey by the way can you look and see if you have this part in your stock and uh they they did he got back to me and said yes we we do have it Granted, they sold it to us at like $5 off of MSRP, so I wasn't real happy about that, but I got the part I needed. And uh, so, Jeff, that kind of ties back to your block, but also, uh, PJ, to your point, I, I'm not seeing that uh, advanced lead time on uh, other parts other than key blanks. Yeah, and, you know, so... Uh... I guess the kind of last point I'll make here is that most of the key bike manufacturers, they put pretty strict expectations out of distributors, like volume wise. And all of uh, the pricing is based on that commitment. And if you don't make the commitment, I mean, you're going to get punished uh, by your pricing. And um, it's a pretty, in the, in the back end of the world, it's, uh, it's pretty dramatic as far as that goes. I mean, it's always being held against you. And this last year, um, they were giving hall passes. You know, they're like, hey, uh, for the last two years, they said, hey, here's a hall pass. We know, like, if we look at what is on order compared to what is shipped, uh, everything's fine. But um, uh, that has changed for this year. So 2023, they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're back on. We don't expect big problems. And we expect... Um, us to hit our numbers. So to me, that's the biggest indication that we're um, getting back to normal is they're really going to uh, put our feet back to the fire with it. So um, as I was saying, right, brass is made out of all sorts of, you know, of, of zinc and copper, which is found in a lot of plumbing and a lot of other things. And so I was very curious if another material was going to be to come out and be made, but um, to use for keys did not happen. So all I can leave you is with this. 
Next time you go into a bathroom to pee, just remember that might be the reason why you don't have your blank key. But up next on the three tumblers, Tyler wants to know at what point do bulk discounts start getting passed down the line? But first, listen to some free music Tim found on the internet. Well, I don't know how often I'll have the ear of a distributor, so I'm just going to use this selfishly to ask some of my own personal questions. Uh, PJ, we get about 95% of what we buy through distribution from one distributor. The other 5% is because they don't carry a very popular brand, a very old brand. So I guess my question is, what determines what brands your company carries? What goes on as far as circumstances and to borrow Jeff's favorite word, nuances to determine what you offer to your customers? You know, that's a great question. And um, uh, I'll, I'll really just uh, give it to you here. So a few things go into it for us in particular. One is the competitive landscape. And I'll give you a brand that we don't sell and I'll tell you why, all right? And I think it'll kind of uh, make my point for me, which is um, alarm lock, okay? So uh, when you look at what's available just on the internet and you can um, you know, obviously include Amazon in there, and then you look at what the profit margins are to sell that, um, is what you realized is that like, you're literally gonna uh, on a good day, make 12% on an alarm lock item. And so is it worth the capital investment, the warehousing invest investment, um, and just the overall hassle of, you know, when the, when an alarm lock or item fails, now you have to um, go through all of that process. There's a lot of costs associated with that. We live in a world where if a lock breaks under warranty, you want a call pack from us, right? You don't want to have to pay for any shipping, nothing. You want a, you know, a la carte type of service. Well, when you have that short of margins, um, it does not pencil out very well. And so the question you have to ask is, do you want that added sales? Do you like that top line revenue that, you know, um, is sexy that you can uh, talk to people about and you sell X amount of millions of alarm lock? Or do you care more about the profit, right? Are you, is your company actually making money doing that? In this case, it just was not worth it um, for us to um, stock and sell alarm lock because the, um, you know, if it's 12% and you're selling and you're doing a credit card fee on top of that, right? Taking out a couple percentage there. Think about it. You do a, a hundred thousand dollars sale or sales, and you're you're making ten thousand dollars before you have to, you have all of your um, expenses associated with that, including shipping. So, I hope that kind of tells the tell. I would guess just off the top of my head, right? Um, with this distributor you're talking about, which I have no idea who it is, doesn't really matter. Um, if it's an older company and they don't want to sell it, there's usually a two things going on. 
One is that manufacturers, when they get started years ago, so let's say this this uh, this manufacturer had three or four distributors from you know 1950 to 1980. You're never, no one coming onto the planet today, okay, is going to be able to get the discounts that those companies get. There's no way around it at all. And if you go back and you kind of look at um, newer brands or maybe brands that have been around for 20 years and they have maybe one or two distributors take a chance on them and now they're, everybody has them. You'll, you'll find that no one sells them for a better price than those first couple distributors because they just get the deepest discounts. I think you're, well, knowing what I know without going to name names, I think you're 100% right. And you kind of hit on my third point, but the second point I'll make before that, um, bulk discounts. We get it direct. We get it through distributors sometimes. What goes into that as far as... Uh, a numbers game is it discretionary is there a set dollar amount what goes into say a customer comes to you has a larger than normal order and says can you work with me on the price can you give me a better price how do you determine to give a bulk discount yeah that's a uh, really good question and of course there's a lot of nuance to it but I, I think i can try to answer it as clear as possible um well i mean first of all like we will match any or match or beat any price as long as we still make money. So as long as the, the line is green at the end, we will match it, so to speak. Um, although we try not to do that. No one wants to really process a sale for free. But where the bulk discounts come in, all right? And it's a multifaceted, like I said, it's kind of nuanced, but a couple of things. If it's a manufacturer that gives us year-end rebates, which is really popular in um, our industry, pretty much every manufacturer has a rebate system. And so if we know, it's like, hey, this is one of the manufacturers that we can get a, you know, there's a juicy rebate on the other end of the stick here we'll be willing to negotiate with that to because we know that it's going to help us hit our numbers and in turn we're going to get some of that money on the back end um so that's a a big thing i think where the divide is that um i don't know maybe a little harder to talk about is sometimes what a bulk discount is to someone in the trade is different than what a distributor might view as a bulk discount. For example, if someone is calling up and they want, let's say, 2,000 you know, uh, KW1s or SC1s, that might be a huge, from their perspective and their business and where they're at, that might be a really a big um, order for them. And they're really wanting to you know, shave some points on. But from a distributor end, it's like, well, hey, you know, we're selling, you know, 10,000 SC1s a day. So it doesn't really do anything. And then on top of it is how expensive is, is it to get delivered to you? All right. And I'll tackle this two ways. One is if it's an item, let's say you want 20,000 or 30,000 um, SC1 keys. If I know it, if we know it hits our free freight minimum, and we can direct ship it from the manufacturer to you, we're willing to give a better discount, right? Like our warehouse staff doesn't have to touch it. We don't have to schedule shipping, put it on a pallet and have all the shipping costs associated with it. However, if it's something in our warehouse, then 
we're not gonna, you know, we have to protect the margin on that as far as, you know, shipping it that way. So those are kind of a few of the uh, pieces that play in that puzzle. Well, let me ask you one more question while I've got you. As Jeff hinted on in the first block, uh, locksmiths have more sources available for hardware than ever before, eBay, Amazon, direct buys, distributors, all of that. Where do you see distributors? Where do you see sourcing going over the next five, 10 years? Does everybody still have a part? Is somebody going to make inroads on others? Yeah, uh, great, great question. And um, to, an to answer this one, I mean, my, my opinion might be a little unpopular, and I, I can accept that. Over time, okay, uh, is what we've seen is the erosion of the distribution network. Okay. And we've seen it go, you know, direct, you know, we, I'm just going to call it direct to consumer um, because it's easier to say DTC. But um, essentially, is what happening is the question you have to ask is why is there a distribution network set up? And most of the time, that answer involves this um, it's complex to ship to um, hundreds of thousands of customers compared to, um, let's say, 200. Another reason is, is the a manufacturer, they might be really great at making something, but they're not really great at selling it and the marketing, and maybe they're not interested in that, and they'd rather just outsource that, right? And that's where the whole distribution network comes in. However, as time has went on, and it's much easier with customers directly through, you know, social media platforms, email, even that sort of thing, we're starting to see a shift there. And that's why you can essentially find everything everywhere by typing in a keyword. And so I think as time goes on, um, and we've kind of alluded to it in a few of the earlier points, and this is where maybe it's popular, but I, I'm okay with saying this. Um, at some point, people right now, if you want to rekey your own locks or whatever it might be, put a new door lock in, you could do it yourself in the same way you could uh, go down to Home Depot and fix your faucet if you if you so had the skills and the desire to do so. I think where we're heading is that the availability of products is not going to be very important in the industry compared to the, the tradesmen and the servicemen with the, the know-how and the knowledge and the expertise to handle it for customers. And so I guess to answer your question over time, um, you're going to buy a lock at the end of the day, you're going to buy a lock at a price, uh, 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 at the best price, essentially, that you could find that also includes some sort of um, customer service or warranty work with that, right? Because you don't want to have to sell a lock and be if it, if it breaks or it's bad out of the box, you want to be able to get a new one um, without a massive headache and cost to you. And so I think that that will continue to be more true. I think we'll see standard distribution, um, the legacy distributors. I think we'll see that business model continue to shift in a lot of ways. And my reasoning for that is if you look at in the plumbing industry in particular, and you look at what ha has happened over the years with big box stores essentially carrying every part that they need. You even see them all the time going to a Home Depot to pick it up. You see um, uh, the online sellers uh, selling all those items, right? Really huge brands. And um, 
yeah. And unfortunately, I think the <laughs> it's a little, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll stop there, but I, I think you get the point. Jeff, Tim, any other questions while we've got the master? No, I mean, it just seems like there's going to be more consolidation. I mean, other, you know, oh, we're not for sale. We're not for sale. Actually, we just got bought, but we, once stuff is out there, it's out there. And to deny it is, you know, there are certain suppliers that will sell to anybody with or without a pulse. And I think that that sort of is just diluting the industry. If, you know, there's no checks or anything, anybody can buy lock picks. I don't care if you want to rekey your own lock, but if you start using these things to break into stuff and, you know, I'm not going to give you the tools to do my job. We don't, if somebody comes in, they want to buy a key extractor. No, we're not going to do that. If you want to try to super glue and get it out yourself and then call us to fix it, you know, we're, we're in business to make money. We're not in business to give away what we took the time to learn. I think that's a good point. I think um, the advent of essentially um, Alibaba, right? AliExpress, those sort of things. Everything is available online for sale at all times. And yeah. when I was a kid working in my dad's lock shop, um, I would be at at like ace hardware or something with him and you know you see there's like two or three people sitting there waiting to get keys cut and it always kind of ticked me off i was like hey why aren't they like your shop is literally like not even a minute drive from here why are they here and he said that he said something um, when i was a kid it, it stuck with me this whole time and he said that he's like hey there are people that are going to go to ace hardware to get a key cut and then there's people that are going to go to a locksmith we service the people who go to locksmiths and I don't know. It's always kind of stuck with me. And I, I think that um, as each local company carves out its own niche um, and gives people reasons to do business with them uh, like any other business, like I, I think like that's kind of where we're headed, but yeah, you're right. I mean, people walk in uh, to my dad's shops all the time with picks and they, you know, they want to buy it. Hey, there's some cool locks I can practice on. And it's like, no. And they're like, well, I can go buy it on the internet. And they're like, it's like, okay. You know, like, why are you here then? Right. And um, I think it makes sense. Like people who know the trade, like, I mean, we should be to some degree um, protective of it. But I think is what really happens in today's day and age, we can do, you can go on the internet and learn anything, right? And to deny that exists just isn't helpful. But I think what is helpful, and I'll, I'll give you a, a real dumb example, um, is my wife's car, okay? It had a, uh, her old car had a, a sunroof and had a leak on it, okay? And I didn't know this, that was happening. She goes to the car wash a lot. And the leak was running down the sides and was literally dumping water on her amp in the vehicle, like her factory amp, causing all sorts of crazy problems. Well, when this started happening, I looked it up on the internet, figured out what it was, bought a new amp, watched some YouTube videos, bought the items to get in there and replace it and get it all. I get in underneath her vehicle and I realize as I start to do this, that like, this is way more difficult than... I was expecting. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to, like, I think I can get it out, but I don't think I can get it back in. And so I just stopped, called a mechanic, 
and said, hey, this is what I got. Is there any way, you know, I already bought this stuff. Would you be willing to do it? And um, they said, sure, but obviously no warranty on any of the items. You know, if you have to buy them from me, if you want the warranty. And I was like, well, hey, I already got it. I don't plan to keep the car very, very much longer. And so we took it to him and he got it done. And I think that is like O'Reilly's hasn't put car mechanics out of business, right? Um, you still go, there's still tons of work out there. And I think the same thing over time will be true for um, our industry that, uh, you know, locks, pin tumbler locks are not complicated at all. And over time is that the understanding continues to get greater and greater. Um, those type of locks are, I mean, everyone's in the building kind of service those, I think, you know, unfortunately, I guess, but. I'd like to say a couple things, um, you know, PJ to, to a few points that you made, uh, we have an ACE hardware less than a block down the street from our shop. And it's actually gotten to the point where they refer people to us for certain keys. Um, the other thing is, uh, to kind of what Jeff was saying, I had a guy ask me the other day if we sold airbags uh, to open up car doors. I told him we sold them at twice the MSRP and also had to require that you took eight hours of training at our training rate, which is 125 an hour. Um, so, you know, that kind of discouraged it. Uh, on the other hand, I started out as a lock sporter and learned how to pick and disassemble and reassemble lock cylinders from the internet. And so there, there's a very healthy balance between the industry and hobbyism. Um, but I wanted to go back uh, to Tyler's earlier point and, and your, your point, PJ. Um, there is one brand, and, and I have no problem naming this brand um, on air, any customer that I have that has MTech hardware, I tell the customer to contact MTech directly. Because if we buy MTech through our distributor, they they don't stock MTech. Because obviously MTech puts all their shit together custom for whatever job. I mean, they package it, wrap it up all nice and neat. It, it is a very, very pretty setup whenever it arrives. Uh, but their warranty is good only for the end consumer. And that's my biggest selling point on that. For one, it takes me out of the picture trying to match up hardware patterns, trim styles, uh, finishes, et cetera, et cetera. And I can put that all on the customer. So if they get something that's wrong, then that's between the customer and MTech. I'm not wasting my time going from the customer to MTech, or if I'm getting it through a distributor, I'm not having to go from the customer to me, to my distributor rep, they go to MTech, they come back to me, I go back to my customer. No, let's cut out all, all of the middlemen and let the customer and the manufacturer both communicate directly. And I'm okay with that with MTech because once you get that box of hardware from MTech, and, and the the average customer might think that they can put it on. They're going to open that up and they're going to close it right back and say, nope. Hey, Tim, come out here. I need you to install this on my door, please. And that's all I've got to say about that. Well, yeah, yesterday we got a call from a contractor through a door, the place that we buy wood doors from 
that had some Baldwin stuff and he ordered parts or Baldwin sent him the parts for free, but he didn't know how to repair the lock. Sure, we'll go out and take care of it for you. We'll bill your we'll bill you, you bill your customer, do whatever you want. But you know, the car key thing, and I had one yesterday that didn't work, and the guy I explained it three times. He signed the form and he happily paid even though it didn't work. You know, that's the risk that you take. And that was a half hour of our time that we, you know, <laughs> that we deserve to get paid for. You know, the you know what a smart pro costs, you know what, you know, tokens and tie and I did get him a price on the getting an additional one that I could guarantee that would work. And if it didn't work, he wouldn't be out anything, but he wasn't interested. So it, it's, it, it's, these are a lot of, there's a lot of things, you know, I, I circle back to that lock sport to locksmithing thing and the people that, well, I like to pick locks. So I want to be a locksmith. There's so many things that you learn that you don't know once you're doing it, you know, uh, picking locks is less than one half of 1% of what we do as locksmiths. Yep. And even as just, you know, the uh, the young kid in the shop, you there's so many other things that you have to know, you know, even though you're not I'm not the one ordering the parts in most cases, there there's there are a lot of things to know. I don't know what you're talking about. 99% of our profit comes from picking locks. Up wow. next, in the fourth half of our show, Tim is going to talk about electronic locks and what a pain in the ass can be to get them in this day and time. What does everyone these days want? Beeps, buttons, apps, notifications, and all kinds of other distractions. Duh. Makes life more convenient, keeps people accountable, and probably save some money in the long run. But how hard is it to get these parts? And when you can't get them, are there any alternatives? You know, when I started at the shop that I work for now, almost two years ago, uh, we sold, on average, about five Schlage encodes per week. Now, that might be an over-the-counter sale. That might be a a sale plus the trip and installation and setup. Uh, but we sold at least five a week on average. And then towards the end of 2021, all of a sudden, none of the distributors had them. Uh, we'd put in an order and they said, yeah, you've got an 18-week lead time uh, or expected in stock March of 2022. And then March of 2022 came around and we still didn't have them. We had to look for alternatives to those. And the one thing that we found that I actually was able to build on because I have them are the Schlage Sense, the BE479s. And with the plug-in Wi-Fi bridge, you can convert those and basically make an encode out of that system. Also, if you have Apple HomeKit, because everybody who has Apple, you know, an iPhone, a Mac, an iPad, in general, most people have an old iPad that they don't use anymore. What a lot of people didn't know, including our Allegiant reps, is that you can use the iPad as an Apple HomeKit hub. Therefore, without having to sell the little plug-in bridge, you can give outside access for the Schlage Sense. 
uh, that was sort of an adapt and overcome, I guess, fix that we were able to come up with. And, and until we were able to get encodes stocked again later last year, 2022, uh, that was pretty much what we sold people was if they were an Apple person, an Apple user, we would sell them the sense and say, hey, you can either buy a bridge from us or you can use an old iPad. We did probably equal numbers of both. Um, now that we can get the encodes back, we're we're selling more of those. But the thing is, is that more and more people we found, residential and commercial both, want a an electronic deadbolt. I know there's been the chip shortage for the past few years, but... Uh, we're we're starting to get back on normal. Um, Jeff, in your shop, what what have you seen as far as electronic residential hardware and the ability to get it and the demand for it? Well, our demand is pretty low, but you know, the one time when I was looking for them and the guy, you know, we looked, nobody had them in stock, and the lead time was months, and he found it online at Lowe's, and we installed it for him. You know, some of that stuff, it's just, like you said, with the MTech, it's not worth trying to compete when you really, you can't get it any quicker. You certainly, you typically can't get it much cheaper. Um, you know, like I said, we stocked the standalone, the basic FE and BE stuff, which there was never really a shortage on. It just always seems like whatever one we have in stock, the customer wants a different color, but that's easy. Uh, never really had too much issue getting trilogies, which we always have a couple in stock. Um, you know, it really hasn't been a major issue with the bread and butter stuff. Like some of the weirder things, again, we just don't sell a lot of them. But the one time I did need it, I couldn't get it. So, and and we actually got it in stock like what two months later when I sent you that picture. I think so. Yeah, the uh, Chrome finish encode. Yeah. Yeah. I've got six of them. If anybody out there needs them, uh, Chrome encodes. Uh, PJ, what, as far as electronic stuff, I mean, we, we see a lot of demand for it in our area, both residential and commercial. I don't know exactly how much you guys do in electronic hardware, but what is sort of the, the backstory to, being able to get electronic hardware, whether it's Quickset or Schlage or or whatever, um, it, even if it's just an off-brand, uh, was kind of was was kind of going on. Why why kind of is it still hard to get some of that stuff? Oh uh, yeah, Tim. You know, I'm the first one to say like uh, the story that you told at the beginning of this. Um, is, in my opinion, the reason why there will always be security professionals out there, no matter what, right? Like the, like, like you said, the, the Legion rep didn't even know that you could do this. And like, it's to me, the beauty of the people who work with locks and keys is their ability to listen, like your livelihood depends on you being able to um, do this work. And so instead of just sitting on the sidelines and uh, pouting that you can't, you can't get the lock, you figure out a way to make it happen. And I just want to say, I absolutely love that story. Thanks for uh, sharing that. Like, it, I mean, it sincerely gets me pumped up. 
we we have a saying on this show we had to locksmith the shit out of it and yes <laughs> the, the one thing that I, the, the one thing that i sort of begrudging because locks are a passion that became my career is you know there are some people that last month they were selling uh copy paper and now they're selling locks not every rep they're most of the reps are pretty good and they tend to move around within their various companies or rep firms there are some people that don't really know what they're selling and it's our job to figure that kind of stuff out and if you can prove somebody wrong that does feel good. I actually got my first Schlage sense that's on my house uh, from our Legion rep. He had taken it off of his own house uh, for an encode. But uh, to to get back, kind of what I was wondering, PJ is, you know what what's it looking like for electronic hardware from like here on out? Is it something that's going to be getting easier, or are we going to need to keep trying to find alternatives and workarounds and and locksmithing the hell out of something. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I do live up here in Idaho, and so I'm not quite sure. I don't, I'm going to try to say as politically correct as I can, all right? But uh, so, I mean, a couple things. One is, what, two years ago, 2021-ish, we transitioned to selling town steel electronic locks. And oh, one of the big reasons for that, okay, is that they're assembled here, um, actually down in California. And so, um, and the um, Town Steel has been, a, is a massive, for the past, what, three decades, uh, a OEM electronic lock supplier. Now, due to the NDAs attached, you know, we can't name names, but uh, um, they're really good at supplying um, electronic locks. And they essentially created their own brand out of um, what they've been supplying to the OEM market for years and years. And so the fact that they were actually available in 2021 and essentially any quantity is what really had me take a hard look at them and then start selling them is just due to the availability. Essentially, any lock within a week will ship. Um, you know, they assemble them as they get ordered. So I really liked that. And I, I really felt that that was a good solution. It was like, A, they know how to make locks, especially if I named the locks that they make, you'd be like, yeah, these, these, these guys know how to make locks. And then two, availability in a time where there was not availability. And it was really a great move. We have sold an absolute crazy amount of them due to it. And it's been good there. So that's kind of how we pivoted through that. But to the main point there is that the main reason the supply issues have happened from my understanding and, and information due to these locks, um, to the electronic locks, is the shutdowns overseas, right, in like China, right? And so when no factory is making anything for months and months and months and months, it just creates a, a backlog that is ugly. Now, is what we've seen since then is manufacturers um, start moving some of their operations, right? Uh, places locks are being made right now by the uh, manufacturers are uh, uh, Korea, um, Vietnam, and they're moving to some other areas to get some, um, some parts or the whole locks. And if you pay really close attention right now through the manufacturers that, uh, that you're even buying from whoever they might be, 
you'll start to see um, little indications of the same lock being made in two different uh, regions of the world. And they're actually different prices uh, for whatever reason. And so I think is what, is what we'll see, like short term, I, I think it's going to continually kind of be a, a problem, but long term manufacturers, right? They're not making money if they're not selling everybody locks. And so they've been incentivized to figure out al alternative countries and or solutions to bring these locks to market. And I think with, you know, the Koreas and the Vietnams and um, other places, we're going to see those um, supply issues uh, not only go away i think but in the future they've kind of uh you know made their own supply chain more robust so these problems you know hopefully don't happen again at least to the same magnitude that's actually a really really great segue into my next point um because we sell in our shop we sell and install a lot of salto access control and I know Jeff is kind of rolling his eyes behind his glasses at me because I say Salto all the time, but uh, I'm not a paid endorser of Salto. But anyway, we do. Their headquarters is in Spain. And something that that we we needed for a job recently, we ordered it and it said shipping from Spain. And we uh, got actually got the parts in less than six days um so that's really really cool because they're seeing that you know we're selling this product we need it you know yes salto has headquarters in atlanta but most of their stuff is manufactured in spain um so the the commercial electronic products tyler i know that you don't directly sell uh commercial electronic cylinders i know you don't like dealing with those but maybe you've heard from other people who do sell those uh what what are they encountering like uh the medico xt or something similar to that are are they having you know uh, distribution backlogs yeah to the tune of six to eight months so that's what I've heard from Medico and not just that, but also Fire King products. So that's yes. all I know. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, commercial electronics is kind of like almost 50% of what we do because of access control. Um, Jeff. Now, well, know, now, now, hold on. I'm, I'm okay. only talking about hybrid cylinders here. I'm not talking about anything beyond that. Okay. It, yeah, that's that's what I was referring to when I was when I was asking you is the the hybrid electromechanical cylinders. What were you like, saying about Fire King? Yeah, that's what I hear now. I got somebody trying to buy Fire King locks for me, thinking I could get it any faster than they could, but uh, apparently we're all on a backlog as far yeah. as Fire King lead time. Oh, say because they're charging one hundred and fifty bucks for two keys now, which is absurd. It used to be thirty five dollars for two keys. You can buy a new lock with two keys cheaper than you can buy. Yeah, Tim, that's the exact face we made, and there were a few swear words involved. So, damn, custom, yeah, bet you can get those keys faster than the lock, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, we had it with less than a week, and I know the person you're talking about probably because he was trying to get you to make keys or whatever. Yeah, and also, yeah, uh, you have a rule A violation behind you. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, My keys are in the door. Sorry yeah. about that, fellas. <laughs> 
At least we only do audio. Jeff, I, I mean, we don't sell a lot of alarm lock stuff. Like we do if it's a uh, direct swap out, but we don't do a whole lot of fresh install of it. Um, and I, I think your shop probably does a lot more alarm lock stuff. Have you seen any anything like with alarm lock or Kaba? Uh, have you seen any significant change in lead time over the past couple of years or or today or anything? Are things faster or slower about the same? No, about the same. Well, that was a, a quick answer. I mean, again, we're not buying direct or anything. If we need a trilogy, we order a couple of them. Never had any, nev- not seen an issue in that I can remember. We don't sell the Kaba electronic stuff. We sell very few of the push button ones. So, yeah, no issues with trilogies. That you know, nothing that that comes to mind. Gotcha. Yeah, we have we haven't seen anything. Um, you know, as far as that PJ, uh, the uh, ship. What was the brand? The Iron Iron Mountain. What? Town Steel. <laughs> Iron Mountain. What? Town Steel. Town Steel. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, okay, let me start back. I'll edit all that out. That actually um, isn't a bad idea. Iron Mountain Steel Town. Okay. Uh, PJ, the the Town Steel. I've actually never laid my hands on it uh, on any one of their products. I know I've read some of their stuff. Um, like some of their spec sheets, but I've never laid my hands on it. Um, would really, if you could set me up with somebody from there or, or whatever for our shop, uh, I'd love to see a demo of something, but do you, are, are they pretty like compared to traditional like Schlage or, or Kaba or alarm lock? Are they faster in fulfillment? to distributors or are they about the same? Yeah, so I mean, they essentially build to order. Um, and so I mean, our typical lead time on a stock PO is right about a week. And so, you know, like if you had like a big job or you had something going on or you just needed something kind of rare or random uh, and we, you know, would put it like a drop ship PO in, it's usually around a week or, you know, maybe a little longer them to uh send it out so it's, it's it's pretty good by the way i love that what did you say iron mountain or something like that i, I no I no like I, it. I think i was thinking of inner mountain which is a supplier but uh yeah i i i am famous for making up names you know that's why i have to wear my name on a name tag all right i'm done now let's take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk about some spare parts that we actually did get in our supply chains this week. Well, I think we've all got at least one spare screw left over this week, so let's hear about them. Tim, what's your spare part? All right, so at the Houston Zoo, Mr. Pickles, who is a 90-year-old radiated tortoise and the oldest animal at the Houston Zoo, welcomed, along with his 53-year-old junior partner, Mrs. Pickles, welcomed three hatchlings that could live for up to 150 years if well taken care of. The critically endangered 
radiated tortoise species is native to Madagascar and rarely ever produce offspring. I guess they're too lazy or too slow. Uh, nobody can accuse Mr. Pickles of being a quick draw, I suppose. But they came as a surprise, and all the folks at the Houston Zoo are just ecstatic for Mr. and Mrs. Pickles, and I wish them well. You know, it's never too late. Tyler? Jeff, uh, spell I-cup. I'm not five, I know that one. Just do it. I-C-U-P. You degenerate. All right, I'm done. EJ? You know, I'm really just... Uh looking forward to a soda this afternoon. In Ohio, we call it pop, but uh, I'll let you let it pass. My spare part is that in Virginia, two inmates escaped prison using a uh, spoon and a toothbrush. They got out, managed to get some seven miles away to an IHOP where they had dinner slash breakfast after shortly being uh, picked up and transported back to the jail. So, uh, Sounds kind of like Escape from Alcatraz. That was almost my spare part. Well, you told me to use it, so I did. And I don't think I've ever heard your voice that high. That's going to have to be uh, another part of the blooper reel. Well, I think that's it for today. We've certainly gone off on a a few tangents. And I have to apologize since I've been begging everybody to email uh, the wrong address. The correct address is the3tumblerspod at gmail.com. Not whatever else I've been saying. So you guys are forgiven for not emailing your $20 bills to us thus far, but I'll be watching for them here on out. Those responsible for the error, IT Director, Cybernet, and Amber Sand, have been sacked from the staff by Oscar LaVista. Submit your staff nominations to the3tumblerspod at gmail.com today. Our executive producer is Tyler J. Thomas. Writer and editor is Tim Coleman. I am your technical producer, Jeff Moss. Our guest host is PJ Slauson. Our tool specialist intern is Anna Toomey. Our press secretary is Howie Vasive. Tim's personal trainer is Jim Shorts. And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, otherwise known to late-night Uber drivers as Huey Louie Dewey. Uh, I just say thank you, PJ. Thanks for listening. Happy be here. Hashtag Lockboss. This has been a Three Tumblers production, season one. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts.